Welcome to the Public Health Networker, the official podcast of the Public Health Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dr. April Moreno. Join us as we speak to public health professionals around the country and around the world in global, community, and environmental health topics. Join us also as we speak to podcasters in this field of public health. To learn more about us, visit publichealthpodcasters.com. And in the meantime, enjoy the episode. Before we begin, I'd like to share some of our upcoming events. On September 17th, we're hosting our first online virtual public health grad school fair. If you're looking into grad school for your master's or PhD or related fields similar to public health, join us as we speak about success strategies before, during, and after your graduate degree on our main stage. And then we are also hosting virtual booths with 10 different schools of public health and related programs, including Sarah Lawrence College School of Health Advocacy, Berkeley School of Public Health, Columbia Mailman School of Public Health, CUNY School of Public Health, the University of Utah, Rutgers, San Marcos, San Jose State, and more. So join us by registering at publichealthpodcasters.com slash gradschoolfair2022. Also upcoming, we are hosting our first People's Public Health Conference, where we work to serve and center marginalized communities through our community-based public health work and activities for advocacy. Register at thepeoplespublichealth.org. Right. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Public Health Networker. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Charlotte Smith. She is a continuing lecturer at the UC Berkeley School of Public Health, and she works in the Division of Environmental Health Science. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. Today, let's geek out over GIS. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about you, the classes that you're teaching, the work that you're doing in the field of public health and GIS. Sure. It's a bit of a circuitous path from where I began to where I am now, sitting here speaking to you and with a faculty position at Berkeley. So I started as a microbiologist, and I actually was the kid that didn't leave home. My first real job was in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Michigan, and I went on to Columbia University. So I was a typical lab tech working on um, some molecular biology questions. But then in 85, I got a job with the New York City Water Department, and that really changed my life. So I was there for some years, and then I went to a French multinational corporation that owns and operates water utilities around the world, including 35 and 15 states here in the U.S. So I was director of water quality there. And then in 94, the French corporation sold off the American Holdings, so I started my own consulting firm, Charlotte Smith & Associates, Inc., and was consulting and have been for many years. I still do a little bit of consulting, although these days my life is really focused on teaching and mentoring students, both undergrads and grads at Berkeley. So that's where my real joy is, is in teaching and mentoring. And But as I say, it wasn't a straight line from point A to point B, where I sit here today speaking with you. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an adventure. 
um, you know, there's so much we have in common as well, which we'll talk about off the record as well, but definitely a, a past in water quality and all things as well. Working in a lab, I used to work with the Arabidopsis in Berkeley uh, many years ago. So there's just a lot we can talk about. But uh, tell us a little bit more about your public health story and um, some of your experiences in GIS. How did you get started in the field of public health? We often hear it's accidental. Many people just somehow stumble upon it. How is it's absolutely accidental. Although if you looked back at my life, um, you know, when I, which chapter am I on now, right? Chapter 59, Charlotte gets a teaching gig at Berkeley. But even when I was little, I was always interested in science. And I remember when I was about six or seven, my parents found a, a used microscope and they set up a little lab in the basement and I would look at, you know, bug wings and things under the microscope. So the science part, I think, has always been there. And I remember as a kid, my mom used to call me Professor Charlotte. <laughs> and so I think that was always there, but I didn't expect to be at a university that was completely uh, just a, um, a fluke of nature. But I am in fact the luckiest person in the world because, uh, so I, I, I'll go back, I'll step back. I told you I have this consulting firm and it's very much focused on operations and optimizing operations of water utilities. So in a, the mid nineties, I had this sort of desire to focus more on public health, more pure public health questions that relate to water quality rather than operational questions. So I thought, well, how am I going to do this? I need to get my credentials in public health. So even though I have a master's in community health, I did it. I did that master's when I was working for the water department and I never really did the kind of work you would think of as traditional public health. Like I've never worked in a public health department or anything like that. Anyway, so I decided, well, I'm going to go back and get my credentials and write up some publications that would be considered more pure public health. And so I went to Berkeley. I was 47 when I started my doctorate at Berkeley. And the idea was just to sort of refocus the consultancy. So I did my dissertation, you know, sat for quals, did the dissertation, all of that, that every good PhD student does. Mm -hmm. But then as luck would have it, right as I was graduating, two people that were teaching a large undergraduate course at Berkeley, for a variety of reasons, both left. And so there I was at the right place at the right time. So the chair of the department asked me if I would teach this undergraduate course and also a drinking water and health course that I was teaching my in my last semester of the doctorate. So I said, yes, and they said, it's just temporary until we find someone. Well, that was in 2012. So as it turned out, I love it. So I absolutely love being at Berkeley. I love teaching, I love mentoring the students. So here I am 10 years later and the courses have changed a bit as of last spring, I'm no longer teaching the drinking water and health course. All of my courses are focused on geographic information systems, mapping, spatial analysis. And I have a new course coming this spring that will be public health maps and spatial analysis for health equity with a strong emphasis in using space and place to uncover the realities of 
social disparities of health, health inequities, often place can, can lead us to that and sort of where leads us to why in many public health questions. Thank you. That sounds really interesting. And I'm so excited to, you know, see um, or hear about some of the maps that are going to be produced by your students. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's just so much interesting. Um, there would be so many interesting trends to see, even as it relates to water quality and demographics, Absolutely. health equity. My goodness, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So please tell us about some of the maps that you've seen your students work on. Uh, over the years in public health, we're really into promoting public health and GIS. Um, we're, to be honest, we, we kind of wished, you know, I, I took my first GIS class in 2010, 2011, and I was really hoping that it would take off to a level um, that I'm not quite seeing yet for public health departments. But, um, you know, that's why we're here. We're here to continue to promote GIS and, um, you know, definitely mentoring students along the way. Uh, so please share with us some of those great projects you've seen. I, I think you're right, though, April, that in the public health sector, that it's more recent as compared to city planning or natural resources. Those divisions and departments have been teaching courses, training students for quite a long time. And now in the public health sector, I think in large part to the COVID-19 dashboard that Johns Hopkins put together. In fact, I didn't mention that in my little story that I've never actually taken a GIS course, even though I'm teaching it, I'm completely self-taught wow. until last year when I matriculated in Johns Hopkins Master of Environmental, sorry, Master of Applied Science in Spatial Analysis for Public Health. So Hopkins has a full-blown accredited, CIF accredited, a master's program in spatial analysis with that emphasis on public health. So at Berkeley, we have certificates. In fact, in our online master of public health program, we have a three course certificate in GIS and spatial analysis for public health that anyone anywhere can apply to. You don't have to be a Berkeley student to, to get that certificate. But in terms of a full, you know, two year master's program, as far as I know, Hopkins is the only place that has that. So that's pretty exciting for the field, you know, to have more people trained specifically in GIS and spatial analysis and the faculty are great there. There's, I've really been enjoying it. And I'm actually not even the oldest person in my cohort. There was a fellow, another um, PhD from uh, Long Beach who was in the program. So it's a real mix. The cohort is really mixed uh, from experience. And I'm just absolutely loving being a, a master's student again, even though I have a doctorate and one master's. Anyway, in terms of what my students are doing, I'm very much focused on uh, spatial analysis and GIS as a communication tool. So as I mentioned, Hopkins has the dashboard, which got quite a lot of visibility. That's something that Esri had supported Hopkins in the development and continuation of that um, project. And so my students learned to make dashboards and story maps. Story maps are a communication tool. They incorporate videos, images, 
and it's always I always when I'm talking about images, I always remind the students to use Wikimedia or Creative Commons licensed images. That's super important and a little more rigorous than just you know citing a, a journal article. At any rate, these story maps have they don't have to have maps. My students' story maps always have maps, so they're going to be short narratives. Um, images, sometimes video, sometimes audio, and then my students will always put maps, interactive maps. So they really engage the viewer in understanding and learning about any subject. And I've had students do anything from food insecurity to one student uh, last semester made a fantastic interactive map about the hospital bombings in uh, Syria. Um, I had a, another student wrote a, or created a fantastic story map on human trafficking. And these, these story maps that the students make almost always have a call to action or next steps. So they're bringing in sort of the creative side and also the advocacy within these story maps. So that's probably my favorite part about the courses I teach. I mean, certainly the students are acquiring skills in mapping and spatial analysis, but then they express this creative side and have an opportunity for public health advocacy or advocacy in whatever their passion might be. So um, that's that's been really exciting, just teaching how to do that. And um, some other projects that my students have been involved in, we we're part of the SOMAD project, which is the systematic observation of mask adherence and distancing, which is a, a Kaiser Permanente project under Deborah Cohen in their research and evaluation division. Dr. Cohen had a project with 14 universities across the country, Berkeley participated. My students put learned how to make a mobile phone app, a GIS-enabled mobile phone app. They went out to the field and they observed the demographic characteristics of people wearing masks and not wearing masks. And then Kaiser you know, put that data together with data from around the country to see if there were differences in who wears a mask, who doesn't, when are they wearing masks, when aren't they? And then can really help with you know, public policy and encouraging mask wearing. And I, I think we're really seeing that need now with the new um, variants that masks continue to be so important. I mean, the best, as they always say, the best way not to get long COVID is don't get COVID, right? So just yeah, wear those masks. So that was a fun project that my students were involved in. And the reason I like these sort of field projects, it gives the students an opportunity to get some field research, to develop some skills and build their resume instead of, you know, just being in the classroom listening to Dr. Smith, blah, 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 right? <laughs> we, have, we have another project right now. So I'm teaching summer session and the students in my applied GIS class are working in collaboration with the Gender Equity Resource Center, M. Huang, and the Office of Disability Access Compliance under Ben Perez and Facilities Services with Mayanna Vogue. So we have this, and also uh, Corey, I just went blank, but um, another person over in Facilities Services that 
the team is has engaged my students again to learn to build a mobile GIS enabled mobile phone app. We use Esri's Survey One Two Three product, which is super easy to learn how to how to make a a survey on your phone. Then they are going out to all of the restrooms on campus to inspect them, take measurements, look for the California Building Code and ADA compliance, um, and also to look at the restrooms to see which ones can be converted to a, a gender neutral restroom. So we have a, you know, it is Berkeley, we're very progressive and we want to um, certainly make restrooms accessible to both um, people with disabilities and to people who, you know, want to feel comfortable when they're just, you know, answering nature's call, right? So the students are very, they're learning about those issues as well as developing the skills to do field work. And then they will, so they're putting the survey on the phone, going out doing the field work, and then they'll display uh, the data collected from this, the student survey. So a little summer project. That's exciting. Definitely. Um, I'm curious to hear um, what are some projects that you would love to see more of in the future? Uh, what, in terms of your personal interest, what are some possible ideas of maps that you would love to, you envision would be wonderful to see out there? So, well, I'm also, um, I didn't mention that half the year I actually live and work in Mexico. I'm a visiting professor at ITESO, the Jesuit University in Guadalajara. And so there with my collaborators at ITESO, other professors, it's a real multidisciplinary group of social scientists, political scientists, health scientists like myself. We're working with the communities, a community-based participatory research, which means even at the outset of the project, we are communicating with members of the community. And there's a few um, sort of action groups and coalitions already set up in the three communities we work in. And so, we, again, we're going out, what that, I should say what that project is about, it's really looking at the behavioral, environmental, occupational factors related to diarrheal diseases and kidney diseases. And my specific focus really is not only the survey questions that we ask of the community and that we develop with the community members, but also the quality of water. And th these behavioral questions are which water sources do you use? Um, you know, what are your behaviors sur surrounding disinfection of water because it's coming to them uh, unclean and actually com contaminated with E. coli, which is a a measure of fecal contamination. So what I would like to see, my students are working with them and then create maps and we do spatial analysis to see if there are pockets or of disease incidents. But I would like to see more involvement of both the students at ETESO in terms of mapping and um, working with the community members especially at sort of the middle school, high school level there to bring maps maps of their own area um, into some of these questions and solutions. And I think that works across the board wherever we're talking about, whether it's the Berkeley or Mexico or anywhere in the world, 
when individuals engage in their own community and the problems and solutions in that community that real progress can be made. So maps are a mechanism to, to do that. Everyone knows where they live and usually what's around where they live and we can really dig into some of the environmental problems and solutions. And it, for example, I know there's a lot going on with you know coastal resilience and climate change and where people on the coasts are more involved in you know mapping things out and looking for problem look, looking at problems and coming up with solutions then progress can be made. And so I guess if there was someone, maybe a relative or someone who is just not familiar with GIS, maybe it's someone who is an undergrad in public health, um, I guess in a nutshell, or how would you describe the reasons why GIS matters? Why is it so important? It's a, a bit, as I said before, that where often leads us to why. And we can, I mean, we use maps, not just to display data, but to explore data and and find sort of uncovering things that we didn't even know were there and place can often do that and it can lead us to understanding relationships let's say we want to know we have some data showing where let's say COVID-19 is high or vaccination rates are low well if we put that on a map and then bring in another map that shows other either demographic characteristics characteristics excuse me, demographic characteristics or political leanings, okay? If we blend these two maps together, sometimes that where will lead us to why. Why were COVID cases high or why were vaccination rates low? That using, using maps and place can sometimes lead us to understanding the why part of those relationships. And then sometimes what we think of in, as the core of public health interventions and solutions, right? So maps are essentially a tool and spatial analysis is a tool, but it has powerful ramifications in uncovering, like I say, relationships or why, just why, why is this happening? Maybe where has something to do with it or can lead us there. Totally agree. I mean, definitely, like with the pandemic, we have an upcoming episode with one of the founders of the COVID dashboard at Johns Hopkins, right? Thanks. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's just so much information that we really relied on for our own survival during, you know, the beginnings of this pandemic, even um, because of that dashboard. So, there is so much there. So, thank you so much. How can we learn more? What are maybe some of your favorite GIS resources? Um, what can we, where can we go? How can we learn more about public health and GIS? Sure. I mentioned I was completely self-taught before matriculating into Hopkins MAS. And I learned from Esri's Learn Lesson. There's a, a group there within uh, Esri, um, headed by Riley Peak, who has a fantastic staff and they're, they're very, in touch with the the community, the different communities, whether it's you know fire or utilities or government sector, so what what's really happening in those uh, sectors as well as public health. And I, I've written a, 
a learn lesson for them, but there's now I think hundreds in the catalog. And that's basically how I learned was through the Esri Learn Lesson catalog. And you don't have to actually have a, an account that when you, you get sort of a temporary um, access to the software to be able to learn the, the tools. So that's how I learned that Esri has two sort of catalogs of resources. And then, of course, on YouTube, for those that are more interested or equally interested in open source software like QGIS, there are a lot of YouTubes. And so, you know, there's like everything, this proprietary version, which in GIS, it's Esri is sort of the main player there. And there's open source and QGIS is the main software there. So for QGIS, I would say YouTube's. For Esri software, their learn lessons, as well as um, there's a ton of YouTube's as well. But I, I like the learn lessons because they step you through very clearly. There's a an image what you should see on your screen. So even, I wouldn't even say at college level, I think for the learn lessons that are even middle school or certainly high school, they're very accessible. Um, so that would be where I would send a, a person that knows nothing, where I, like who I started seven years ago, not knowing how to spell GIS. And now I'm teaching it at the undergrad and grad level at the top rated undergrad university and top rated online MPH schools in the country. So it is learnable. Definitely. And, you know, if someone has a passion for maps, if someone's really interested in, you know, just location data, geography, this is a great place to move forward, right, into the field of GIS as well. And, and you're absolutely right, although that wasn't me, that I have a horrible sense of direction and I'm <laughs> never interested in looking at maps. The part that interests me is the spatial analysis and those and the using maps to find relationships and the where leading to why incentive was my incentive. But I know some people love maps. They see them as art. Yeah, I, I like the analysis part, the, the spatial epidemiology, the spatial analysis. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm definitely more on the other side, the visual side. I love the watercolor-based map. Have you seen that? It's beautiful. Yes, and that's one of the, the core base maps that you can just use up out of the Esri site. It, it's pretty cool. They have a whole bunch of new base maps that are fantastic, but still cart cartography is not my not my forte. But for the, and I see with some of the students that are just making fantastic maps and these story maps, I tell them keep the narrative short because their maps are telling the entire story. I have the link here to your department. It's just publichealth.berkeley.edu. Uh, there's environmental health sciences and other aspects of public health at your school. Yes, and I'll also give you the link for our online MPH program, which that's where our GIS certificate in public health is through the online Master of Public Health. And just a, another shout out, it is the number one rated online MPH program in the country, but you can take classes there without actually being a, a Berkeley MPH student. Highly recommended. So I really appreciate this conversation today, Charlotte. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
Thanks again for joining us today. For more information about the Public Health Podcast Network, visit publichealthpodcasters.com. You can also find us on Twitter at PHPodcasters. If you have any questions or feedback, we always welcome reviews on iTunes. Or you can contact us at info at publichealthpodcasters.com. Have a good day.